Hey guys, some cool announcement for right now with what's going on. Wherever you live in the entire world, now you can take our classes. We have been going live. We have over eight classes a day. And now you can take them too. For just $29.99, go to denanywhere.com and sign up and you get unlimited access. It's a pretty incredible deal. And once you actually sign up, all your classes are there waiting for you. You don't even have to sign up at all. It is completely hassle-free. So please join us. Again, wherever you are in the world, they are there waiting for you and we are here for you as well. Hey guys, this is Tal and welcome to Den Talks Podcast. I'm so excited about today's episode. We're trying to get guests that we know um, can really help us during this time, during you know COVID-19. So we got back Rabbi David Wolpe, who, if you remember from his first episode, is one of the most brilliant human beings and can talk about anything and wax poetic about any subject and make you understand in a way you can't believe. He's one of the most well-read humans I've ever met in my entire life. So talking to him today about the idea of kind of faith and religion and the bigger what is happening of it all about this virus was actually really interesting. I think he will make you feel really at ease, gives you really interesting things to think about. Um, and I'm just really glad we picked his brain. I hope you love this episode. Let us know. Always go on our Facebook group, leave any comments. And also let us know there what kind of things and topics and people do you want us to be talking to right now that we can help you. We want to be there for you guys. Okay. Enjoy the episode. I'm so glad she's well. How are you? And you're doing okay? I'm doing good. Um, you know, like everybody else. So. I know. Well, here, we'll roll into it. Um, I love that we're on the phone for this. But I would think that for you, you know, quarantine isn't the end of the world. Because I feel like you're a no. little bit of a homebody. Well, I, I must admit, I don't mind staying home at all. Um, I, I have so many books that I want to read. I've been reading. I've been... And also... I've been teaching online. I've been doing a minute inspiration every single day that they send out. And I've been, and I take walks around the neighborhood early in the morning when nobody is around or up yet. And so it's really, for me, it hasn't been a feeling of confinement so much. Um, That's been okay. Uh, But I, there's a lot, there is just a lot of anxiety that I feel coming my way. Um, to try to calm a lot of people who, because I don't, these things don't by my nature make me anxious. And so I think a lot of people are looking to me and to other people who aren't made anxious by it to sort of calm them and say, you know. But I would think it'd be twofold. It's A, you are, I'm very similar that way. It, take, it right. takes a lot for me to feel like true anxiety, but right. also your position in general, like you are. That's also true. Congregation. Right. So how is that for you as, you know, when everyone's kind of going into this spiral and it becomes a little bit of a, you know, there's a dichotomy happening right now of the me, 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 and also how does this fit into a global perspective because it's global. Then where do you fit into that equation as someone who actually all of a sudden probably feels very responsible for a lot of these people? What does that mean? I do feel responsible. (laughs) I do feel responsible. It's true. And my my (laughs) sense of it is... um, First of all, that, that it's, it's a privilege because I have something to do. Um, it's like where other people, their jobs are either imperiled or dangerous, or I'm basically doing my same job. I'm just doing it remotely. Um, and also, there is a, a great satisfaction in being able to give people some comfort when there is so much that's making them uneasy. And, and since, as you said, you know, my temperament isn't that way. So it's been very, for me, it's also been an opportunity to explore both inside myself and inside my tradition, what resources are there to help people in a time like this? Because as you know, like all of humanity, but certainly the Jewish people have gone through lots of difficulties before. And so you discover that almost everything that you want to say to people has been said. That's interesting. So what do you feel like has quelled people the most? Like, what do you feel like you've been going to the most that has had like the right? Here's okay. So the, the first thing I would say is weirdly, I was putting out these 
one minute inspiration, still am every day. And a couple of people wrote me and said, how come you're not smiling? <laughs> and, and, I, and I realized that the reason I wasn't smiling is because I usually smile when I'm looking at someone else, but I was looking at me. I was taking it, <laughs> looking at myself. And I don't normally look in the mirror and go, oh, that, now that's a face I could smile at. You should. Um, so I, well, but that was the point, was I said, we're spending so much time alone, we have to learn how to smile at being with ourselves. And so I think the, when you show people that you actually still have joy and still are smiling and still, despite all the stuff that's going on, um, still make jokes. That's more calming, I think, almost than anything else. That in some ways, um, wisdom isn't wisdom if it's not wrapped up in a person. And when you show, it's like not just reading it on a page. It's when you say to people, this actually helps me. And you can see that I'm doing okay. It makes it much more reassuring. So, I love that. Wisdom isn't wisdom unless it's wrapped up in a person. I think it's really true because you and I both know, we know people who you trust them because they are who they are. And then there's someone else who could say something very smart and you'll think that's very smart, but it doesn't touch you because it doesn't seem to come from who they are. The people that you have on your podcast who are really effective are the people who you feel that what they say is integrated into their lives. So I think when I find a teaching and I'm excited about it and I say, oh, here is this great thing that this teacher said, um, and people feel my sense of joy in it, I think that's much more calming than even the teaching itself. So, so it's kind of just the reminder, like as you as a leader, if you can be finding joy, that they too are allowed to find joy. Right. I remember, yes, I remember when I, when I graduated rabbinical school, they gave us this book called Generation to Generation. And it was by a family systems therapist who was also a rabbi. And he talked about what rabbis and priests and ministers and all sorts of religious leaders need to do. And he said, the most important thing you can do is be a non-anxious presence because mm -hmm. the things that you do in your life, weddings, funerals, hospital visits, they're filled with anxiety. And if you walk in and you're not anxious, just like a therapist, right? You don't want your therapist to be nervous. Right. If you walk in and right. you're if not anxious. This is a mess, then you're like, maybe this is the right place. might not be the right one. might not be the right one. So I think there, there is that. And, and I, find, I find learning very calming. So when I study this stuff, it helps me imagine. Um, and you're an anyway. amazing learner. You're an amazing learner because you... You, you derive lessons from everything. I really try. There it almost isn't anything that I don't see in the world that doesn't remind me of, you know. I mean, even just seeing how people are both isolating and connecting, I think is very powerful. And there's a lot to be learned from this time that is, I tell, for example, you know, I, a lot of people are worried about they, this is a time when they could be applying for a job where they should be celebrating their graduation or finding a maid in life or whatever. And I try to convince people to think of it not as a pause, but as a preparation. In some ways, this could be a great gift. You know, for if I love you, that, that it's if not you a pause. don't, no, it's a, it's a preparation for when you reemerge, because you will, you'll be a different person and hopefully a deeper person. And, you know, there, this time is only wasted if you waste it, but you don't have to. You can actually find a lot of beauty in the necessity to go inside yourself. Can you so. talk about that a little bit? Like what advice are you giving people on how? Because I think, you know, it's so tricky because it's that, that, that waffling and the wavering between the you know, go within, this is your time, which I agree with. Right. But then people being like, what the fuck? I have no money. I have no this. Like, how can you say that to me? How do you right. expect me to sit here and go within when I'm trying to figure out how am I going to feed everybody in three weeks? So, right. When, when somebody is external circumstances 
make it very difficult. And one of the ways that you go within, for those of us who are lucky, is to help. And that's something else that you've seen a lot of. I mean, we have through our synagogue and other synagogues and churches and so on are like people delivering meals and people doing phone trees and all those ways of, you know, one of the ways you discover yourself is not only sitting and meditating, but also by doing things for others because other people are a mirror. And so when you, when you interact with someone else, even if it's virtually, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, for those people for whom this is an economically strapping time, that's a different there i think to some extent you have to have a certain amount of faith like people have gone through these really difficult times before and they've emerged and society does i not as a broad thing but there are people who really want to help and care and so i'm hopeful that we will show our best selves in this so far i think people by and large have they have shown their best selves but it's a really difficult time for a lot of people and it may for some get harder before it gets easier. And it's interesting from like a historical point of view, because I think about it all the time of, I mean, we don't have to get into vaccines, <laughs> but, right, it, right, but. It's for my, but it is interesting to think like, this isn't the first time this has happened where a virus has come no. through and ravaged society um, or, you know, some sort of plague or disease. I mean, you can talk about that also from exactly, a point right. of view. But it is interesting because you want to say, but look at us, how lucky we are because most people are stuck inside with what you and I are doing right, right. now. We have Wi-Fi, TVs, right. music. Yes. You know, options. A lot of people have like, you know, computer games or it's, yep. it's a whole different way. So it's interesting. It's like you're isolated but only in one sense. In some ways, we're still much more connected than people ever have been when this has happened in the past. We are infinitely more connected. That's true. Um, and, and that, I think, for a lot of people is a tremendous relief. I mean, even people, the, the people for whom this is hardest, I've found, are younger people who are alone and older people who are alone. Um, and, and reaching out to them virtually is indispensable and you're right, in previous generations, that wouldn't have been possible. Uh, but even with that, if you can't figure out inside yourself the resources to be calmer and to be okay and things that, that engage and entertain and uplift you, it's still going to be hard. It will still be hard because the truth is the one thing that you always carry with yourself is you. Yeah. And no one else can take that away. Well, it's funny because I know you love Viktor Frankl and I read his yeah. you know, that book because of you. Right. Um, and I love one of the quotes, which I've, I mean, so many of his quotes are so appropriate for what's going on. But when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Exactly. And this is one of those situations that we don't control. None of us control this. Only, the only thing you can control is your own behavior. Um, and, uh, and so, and it is a, it, it is a, it's an enforced discipline that you may as well use to be better because otherwise, when you come out of it, you'll think to yourself, that was a, uh, was a terrible experience from which I learned nothing and grew not at all. And that would be awful. Um, but that doesn't need to be. And, and I would suspect for most of the people who listen to you, they know that that's not true. Um, and so... Anyway, you were going to say. So when you look at this kind of from a biblical standpoint and a religious standpoint, is there something bigger at play versus just the biological function of what's happening? Is there like, you know, some people feel like we're being punished, we're being sent to our rooms. Is there something of kind of we as humanity, you know, when you go back kind of and look through, can you hear me? Right. Yeah. Go ahead when you go back and kind of look at some of these different stories in the Bible, or you right. are just one of the most well-read people I know, so you know history as well, like, is there a pattern? Is there something else to be taken from this? So there, I mean, there's a lot to be taken from it. I'll give you a couple of things, but then I'll go back to the, to the premise of the question. The first thing to be taken from it is, if we ever thought that the world wasn't one, we now know that the world is one. Yeah. That somebody biting a bat in Wuhan can put us in our homes in Los Angeles. And 
country. And whatever the origin, in fact, was, and I don't know, but whatever it was, the point is we are really interconnected in our world. And, and if we only learn that lesson, that would already be a profound and deep and important lesson. The second lesson that we learn is that if bad things aren't real to us before they happen, when they happen and they inevitably will, we won't be ready for them. You have to have an imagination for good and for bad. So for example, um, like ventilators were outsourced because people didn't think, I mean, they knew there could be a pandemic, but nobody really had the vividness of imagination to say, or nobody, or not anybody important enough, there's going sooner or later, a virus is going to escape. That's what viruses do. Um, so there's that lesson too. And then the third lesson I think is that um, all, not only are we all connected, but we're really all, we're all in the same boat. And the same things that threaten one person threaten another. And, you know, there is some sort of almost poetic justice in like, I don't know, you, you may not do this because you're younger than I am, so you probably don't do this yet, but people, when they're my age and older, they start to read the obituaries. And when you do, you say, oh, well, it's okay because that person had a congenital heart defect. I don't have a congenital heart defect, so I'm going to be okay. We always try to separate ourselves from the person who died. or And now we're talking about, oh, it's only people with underlying defects, and I'm okay because I don't have that. Or it's only people who are older, and I'm okay because I'm not that age. But the truth is mortality is a universal reality and you never know and you don't know whether it could strike you younger or older. And you have to live your life not thinking about it all the time, but with that deep consciousness that you don't have forever. And that also, in a way, it's, it's a fear, but also a gift to realize that. Um, now, I don't think that God looked at the world and said, you need these lessons, so I'm going to send you a plague. Uh, but I think that given that it happened, these are some of the lessons we can learn. Well, it's interesting because two out of those three lessons are about the unknown. And so it's, you know, how do you, I, I think it's been a really interesting lesson for all of us in having to embrace letting go of certainty, period, and like everything that we're used to. And I, I think yeah. that's a very hard lesson and one that we all talk about a lot, but no one really right. knows how to ever actually truly learn. And I feel like we're being really forced to learn it. I've talked about it in my classes too. It's like everything that we've been taught since we were little growing up of how to provide security. And some of us do it in different ways, but it's, you know, just have a job, be able to pay the bills, right. be able to put food on your plate, you know, go to sleep, be healthy, take care of you. all these basic things are kind of what's being threatened right now. And it's like, yeah. so it's forcing us, like you just said, all you have is you. How can you go deeper into learning how to feel secure with the unknown swirling around you? And I think it is interesting because two of those things you talked about are exactly that. It's things we don't really, really, truly know. So how can we learn to embrace them and live within it at all times? Yeah, you can't, I, I completely agree that the I, it's almost like I tell people all the time, as, as you know, so I've been diagnosed a couple times with a couple different cancers. And the hardest time in a weird way is when they tell you something's wrong, but they haven't given you yet the exact diagnosis. The uncertainty is huh. what's hardest. Once they tell you, you have this and have to do that. In some ways, that's easier than letting your imagination run to all the terrible things that could happen. So and, and so when people come to me, as they often do now, and they say I've been diagnosed, I tell them the most important thing is not to always project out into the future, to actually live at the moment. Um, and the same thing here, when you talk about how people are in trouble and they don't know in a, when they go back, will they have a job or whatever, you have to make what preparations you can, but you can't constantly go there because not only as we know, our circumstances always subject to change, but also always worrying about the future steals the moment. And so you can't live now if all you're doing is saying, but, but in a month I might, this might happen or that might happen because as the virus shows you, 
you can't predict the future. Nobody said, by the way, in a month, there's going to be a virus that's going to keep the whole world inside. And yet here I mean, we it are. is fascinating when you think about it. It's like the whole world is inside, basically. Yes. Right. It is remarkable. And it does, and, and it does give you greater, I think, than almost anything else in my lifetime, a sense of solidarity with everybody. There are people, I mean, in countries that I've never heard of and never visited, and they're going through the same experience. It's amazing, right? And, and they have the same fears. I mean, yeah. I, I also love it brings me back to what you first said, which is to your, you know, to, to your congregation, like, don't look at it as a pause. Because you're right, it can't be a pause because you're in it. Like, nothing's pause. It's just right. what it actually is. Right. And it's when with college students, college students, oh, people always tell them this isn't real life. And when I speak to college classes, oh, I always okay. say to them, that's not true. Every bit of life is as real as every other bit of life. And you shouldn't think of college as like, oh, I just got to get through this so that I can really live. Because it's no less real to live on a college campus than it is to live, you know, on a farm or in a city. It's, and, and right now, each day is just as precious and just as important and gives you different but just as many opportunities as you had two months ago. Wait, that is so true. It's like, it, it, even, and we've all been guilty of saying that, like, oh, that's not real life. Wait till they're really there. It's so true. It's like by saying that, we're subscribing to the idea that there's one way of doing everything. And then right. when you subscribe to that is when you get into these ruts, when the, that way changes. And then you right. get stuck because so, you don't know how to live in it. Go ahead. Sorry. And so, no, not at all. I, it's exactly what I was, I mean, so the, the thing that's coming out tomorrow, the inspiration I taped for tomorrow was when we were kids, my brother and I used to play egg toss and we would throw the egg to each other. And if you caught it and it broke in your hands, you lost. Okay. And my mother hated this game. But, <laughs> of course, because um, she had to clean guys up exactly, and kill the clean it all up. <laughs> but the idea of it was the only way that you could get the egg to not break was if you caught it and moved with it as it came to you. You know, if you kept your hand stiff, it would break. And when you just talk about being flexible, I feel as though this also is a lesson in moving with what is happening. Like we're about to come up to Passover. Everybody's been asking me, but we can't do it the same way. And I said, I know you can't. We have to learn this year how to, how to move with it, how to do it differently how to have virtual Passovers. You, I mean, you have plenty of time to clean the house, which is always part <laughs> of Passover, but you may not be able to, to achieve the same standard in food that you have in, in past years. But, but that's life. That's life. We're, we're living, moving, breathing organisms. If we stay in one place, we die. And I read somewhere that you were talking about how this is actually more resemblant of the first Passover, which was a right. Passover of anxiety and fear and and they didn't know what would happen tomorrow right, right. they didn't know that they were going to you know walk through a sea because it hadn't happened yet but, right and they were on the uh, run technically right and they I were mean, on the run yes they weren't comfortable and, they didn't have a home they didn't feel stable it's like all the things a lot of us are feeling right now exactly um look if you have a home you're lucky um so that's also a part of it to bring back to what you said before which i think is really important for those of us who are blessed and fortunate to remember, which is that for people for whom this is a really terrifying financially um, in terms of taking care of their families and so on. And, and my, my deepest hope is that people who are fortunate, even though they've lost something through this and they will all, everybody will have Everyone's lost something, yeah. will be charitable and giving uh, on the other side of it because we'll need it in our society. I think Mayor Garcetti was saying that in one of his speeches where I guess someone from one of like either a nonprofit or something was like, we're going to have to tap into our blank fund. He's like, well, what do you have that fund for? He was like, if there was any time, like, I feel like a global yes. pandemic. I can't believe we have <laughs> uh, we'll diminish our charitable fund. That will be terrible. I know. Right? Yeah, he's, exactly. he's like, we're doing the same thing here. We're all dipping into the funds that we keep for a that's rainy right. day. He's exactly. like, when does it get rainier? So nope. I think that's an interesting point. And it's true. It's like, and I think it's, and it's tricky. I think different people are trying different things, you know, as businesses too. It's like, hopefully the businesses that can really afford it are doing everything they can do. And I know the ones that can't afford it are trying to be scrappy and right. figure it out. Um, and yeah. it's, 
yeah, it's a hard time. Everyone's losing something. And that's what I kind of, kind of want to remind everyone. It is the great equalizer. Like no one is being, it's not only one area that's being kind of quote unquote punished or everyone, something is changing. Yes. And also, although I know that there's inevitably going to be a lot of political polarization and people who are going to be upset on one side and the other side of the political aisle. I hope to the extent that it is possible, we will realize that there are some things that are actually bigger than politics. And this is worldwide. And we're all struggling to try to figure this out together. We really are. I mean, it is interesting. And again, not to get into politics, but when you were saying before, it's global, we're all one. I mean, it makes so many of these like things that were such big issues feel like, how how are we even arguing about it? Because if you look, when something actually goes wrong and globally can take us down, do any of those smaller things even matter? Like, should we be looking at politics differently? Should we be looking at how in humanity and as a civilization, not just as countries, we interact and we, I don't know, it totally makes you realize, like, is there a bigger shift of how we behave globally that needs to happen? There's part of the question that I've been thinking about a lot, and I suspect that a lot of your listeners have, which is, will things be different when this is over, or will everybody go back to the way they were before? And, and I, I am hopeful. I mean, I don't expect all of a sudden, you know, the lion to lay down with the lamb, right, exactly. Right. Um, but I am hopeful that there will be a subtle shift in the consciousness of people that will make them recognize and acknowledge that as much as we feel divisions, ultimately, we're really the same. You know, we're threatened by the same things. We're elevated by the same things, inspired by, diminished by. We're the same. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. Even like with nature, I mean, just anyone who you're taking your walks, if you, especially being in Los Angeles, where we're used to a heavier yes. air, you actually didn't realize how dirty it was I know. until you're walking now because you can, it just reminds me of the East coast. I mean, you're from the East coast too, where I'm like, yes. the sky is so blue. You can yep. feel the freshness. You can hear it. I mean, every, the trees seem happier Now, granted it's spring. So everything's blooming and fresh, but everything just seems happier. And it just makes you right. realize it's been a, not even a full two week break for art for well, nature and look what it's yes. look what it's been able to do i mean how they're saying in australia how literally the reef has already started to come back things that i think we would assume would have taken years to come back if you tried right. to like it's just it's so fascinating to see if we actually pause and breathe and somehow work together how much change we can actually affect it's almost like the world is taking a sabbath you know for like sure all and and the the other strange thing when you said it's been two weeks is you realize that we measure change in our time in our life by how much things change. And so it seems like it's been a lot longer than two weeks because so much has changed where there are other times that events go, I mean, time moves very quickly and it doesn't seem like that much has changed. But now when, when you think about the presidential election seems so I mean, it was everything, and now it seems far away. I actually got upset when they were still debating. I'm like, stop debating. Who cares? And say, you guys are older men. Go home. Yes. something. I want to say one other thing that really, yes, um, and I recognize this is part of the legacy of the Passover, is everybody who's going through this, and especially younger people who are going through this, this will be the story you will tell. And one day you'll see, you will tell your children and your grandchildren how you lived through the time of the coronavirus where everybody in the world was in their homes. And it will seem inconceivable to them. But if you haven't kept the journal, you should at least write down something so that you remember them. Because when the world changes back, it will be hard to recreate this sense. But This is a unique time in human history, really, and certainly in modern human history. Um, And it's going to be part of the story of your life. And you'll make it part of that story. And and in a way, almost like the depression for a certain generation, it can be powerful. and, And there will be in later years something almost nostalgic and romantic about it. Oh, I can't wait to, um, you, you more than anyone, I can't wait to see the literature that is born from this. 
because yeah. as you know, it's never during, it's always later. And yeah. there's going to be some amazing art that is produced. Oh, it. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Yeah. How, how, what do you feel like, especially as like a leader, the balance of, because you've talked a lot in a couple of different ways of like emotion and fear, you know, when, you know, when to act on your, when to have actual action versus like sitting in emotion, but also then the lack of fear. And like, so what is the balance of vigilance, which you've used and fear, the balance of softening, kind of going with the flow, you know, and being on guard and the balance, it's just this constant like balance between fear and deepening, taking control to make sure you're doing your part, but also softening into the situation. What is that? So my, I, I mean, in my own life, what I've tried to do is be really vigilant about health and really kind in understanding. So when I walk out in the morning, if somebody's walking on the sidewalk towards me, I will go and walk in the middle of the street, but I'll make sure that I smile at them and say hello. Because I want them to know that it's not, it's not personal. Not personal. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not about, I don't know you, but I also don't want to breathe your air. Um, and, and I think that that's the balance that we have to strike is to be emotionally accessible, but physically vigilant. And so I know that like, when people drop off food at other people's houses and they leave it on the stoop, you know, you don't want to stand there and have a long interaction with them. They probably don't want to either. Um, but to express your appreciation and so on is really important. And I hope, uh, I hope that people are doing that. I hope that they, that their fear, because it's a bad thing to have fear of everybody else, but we do. Um, and, and it's, you understand that fear and the fear is real, uh, by the way, as, as, a, as a side note, this also, I think, has something to do evolutionarily and biologically with the fears of some groups of other groups, because every group carried different diseases depending on where they came from in the world. And it may be also that this is like deeply rooted in the human experience that the other whom you don't know might pose some kind of biological threat to you. And part of our spiritual work is to overcome that and realize that that may be a physical distance that you have to keep, but the emotional and spiritual distance you can actually close. I think that's so interesting, especially because when this first was going on and it seemed very far away from us, you know, there was a right. lot of racism that was coming up. Exactly. Know, which I think is so interesting, which I couldn't believe because I was like, wait, this logically makes right. No sense. Like people refusing right. to go to Chinese restaurants. I'm like, do you think they're shipping in their food from I China? Know. I mean, it would be like, there's stuff everywhere here. Right. Like, there's no virus on the menu. Right, I exactly. mean, right. It, it was right. this weird, like, and also, by the way, but viruses can start anywhere. I mean, it's true that it started, but they can start anywhere. Of know? course, it could have started. And regardless, just because it right. started there this time doesn't mean knock on wood the next time it doesn't start right. somewhere else. And, right. Right. and so, but it was, it was this weird, I was actually surprised and I had a couple Asian friends who would make jokes, you know, like their daughter sneezed and they were like, don't worry, she doesn't have Corona. And I'm like, oh, I, I wasn't worried. Right, and right. like, well, you'd be surprised the looks we get. If her, and I'm like, are you serious? She was like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it's just, it was so illogical, but you're right. There's something so inbred in it that maybe hopefully- There this is very much, look, you may or may not know, you know, the, the, the English used to call syphilis the French disease and the French called it the English disease. You know, it's always somebody, it's always from somebody else. Every disease comes from somebody else, never me. Right, um, and they all got but, it, so does it matter? Right, exactly, and it doesn't matter. And it, but the, I think this has to do with, to return to like the deepest level of this, it has to do with human vulnerability and our recognition that we're vulnerable and our acknowledgement that we're mortal. And that at, at an individual level, that's what this is about. That people don't last forever. And we are terrified to confront the reality of our mortality. Um, it's almost like, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say this these days, but you and I first met on a plane, right? Mm -hmm. And planes are not good these days. And it's great <laughs> that nobody's flying, but- It will forever be one of my favorite things. But I, like you, I read on planes, I sleep on planes, I'm perfectly comfortable. But let that plane hit turbulence and start to shake 
And I all of a sudden realized that I have this deep terror. I just don't allow myself to feel it. And I think that that's what life is like for most of us. We're fine. We're not afraid. Nobody thinks I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden, something comes along like a virus. You go, oh, my God, I'm actually terrified of my own end and losing the people I love. But, but now I really have to confront it. Do you feel like as a society, we have just moved really far away from that? Do you th- and do you think there's any yes. reasons we have? Do you feel like there's any reasons? Because people don't, because, I mean, the hospice movement has changed this somewhat, but because people die in hospitals in antiseptic circumstances and we don't see them. And for most of human history, people died on the street or in their homes or, um, and, you know, there was not, now all of, and all of medicine sort of sees death as the enemy. So a good death or an easy death is not what most of medicine is geared up to, to deal with. Um, it's a very different orientation. And I think that there's also a, a certain hubris that we have because we've achieved a lot. We think we should be able to beat this. Um, but this is who we are. It's, it's so true because we are a notorious, especially here in the U.S., we're notorious for kind of pushing our elders out. It's almost right. like, like the kids, if you don't see them, like right. it's... Yes. And so you're right, you aren't not, most of us aren't as close to that process. And so it only confronts us here and there. And, and I've always found it strange too, you know, now that I have a child and I try and explain things to her, I've always found it strange too, how most people kind of avoid the topic of death. And like, even Alec was joking, he was like, you have prepared our child more for like, celebrating death than anyone I know. I mean, look, we have a lot of dogs, so I have a lot of opportunity right, 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 right. <laughs> to work with it. Um, so I've had to work with it earlier than most people have. Yeah. But it's true, I've really had, I've tried to teach in a way of like, it's such normalcy, it's okay. It doesn't right. mean like physically they're not there. It doesn't mean they can't be right. with you. And And I kept thinking, well, if that was more of kind of part of how we were all raised, we would have a very different approach to everything to like, like you said, some medicine, death, how we take care of ourselves. Yeah, I really think that's true. And I think that this, again, this may change some of the ways that we understand our own vulnerabilities because everyone feels it now. Everyone feels it. I mean, you just walk into a market and you see people who are acutely conscious of the fact that they are vulnerable to one another. How do you feel like, so in this age of like now, in this moment of having to kind of confront our fears a little bit more and be more emotional, why do you feel, again, if you're looking at it from a more spiritual perspective, put on that hat for a second, he like kind of rolls his eyes at me, I love it. Um, (laughs) Why do you feel like- I've got the hat on, so. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do? Why do you feel like- this is kind of coming in a time for us that we do have all this social media. Like, what do you feel like the version of us learning how to do this through kind of communicating? Like you said, you're teaching every day still. You're still sending out these messages. You and I are communicating right now, looking at each other. How do you feel like social media comes into play with social distancing? I think that it is, it's teaching us the indispensability of connecting to other human beings and also reminding us of the limitations of, not being in other people's company. I think it's doing both. Um, the ability to reach out to people is wonderful. And, and I cherish the fact that we can do this. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, but it also reminds us that there is nothing like sitting down face to face across from somebody in person and feeling them and have them feel you and gathering in crowds and being together and, and I believe and hope that people will miss that very much um, because I think that that's central to not only the human experience, but also to, to what I give my life to, which is to the religious experience, to gather people together, to do things as a community, not just as individuals. So I think that social media is doing two different kinds of things and both of them in a way good, both revealing its possibilities and also its limitations. It's also interesting because like a lot of the things I really disliked about social media kind of disappear a little bit right now. It's like all the influencer stuff, all of like, 
like I, A, I've noticed less of it because I'm sure other people are reacting the same way, but it's like, I feel like I can flip through it so much faster to get to content I'm actually more interested in that feels more relevant. Um, And it will be an interesting shift, especially now. There's so much stuff that like just doesn't matter right now with the way our world is happening, which was huge with social media. So it's actually going to be really interesting, I think. Right. I think serious conversations are much more prevalent than they were before, because as you say, when you see stuff that isn't serious, you're like, forget that. I'm going to get to the to the real stuff right yeah. now. And so it is it is boiling it down to stuff that really does matter. And and I I don't know how long that will last. Um, I, in some ways, I, I mean, in some ways, the the revival of the superficial stuff will be a good sign. You know, it'll be a sign right. that people <laughs> can worry about things can worry about things that don't matter so much anymore. And not all of of life's conversations should always be a seminar. Sometimes, you know, it should just be a party. But, but nonetheless, for the moment, yeah, I think that it has put people in a different sort of place and that that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Talk a little bit about the story you've been talking a lot about. And there's two kind of parts to it when you've been talking about the golden calf and how it relates to fear. And it's like a good biblical story to remind people of like reacting, diving too deep into fear is not always the best. But the second part of that story, which I actually really like that you've talked about is the reason, we'll talk about the first part, go ahead, the fear. So the first part is, okay, Moses says he's going up to the mountain for 40 days um, to get the commandments from God. And he goes up to the mountain and the Israelites down at the bottom of the mountain realize he's been gone 40 days. And so immediately they take off all their gold and so on. And they build a golden calf and begin to worship it. And, and Moses comes down and sees this. And first of all, it has to do with the fact that fear will lead you to do things that you know are foolish. I mean, because they look at the calf and they say, this God who brought us out of Egypt. And they know that's not true, but they're terrified. Um, and, and it's almost like people will run to placebos in medicine, even though they know the doctor says this doesn't work, and you say, yeah, but I need this. I heard somewhere from a cousin of a friend whose uncle is a doctor that it might work. Um, But also it demonstrates a lack of patience. I mean, already by the 41st day, they had built a golden calf. They could have said, you know, maybe Moses stopped for a cup of coffee, maybe met someone up on the, (laughs) takes a long time for an old guy to get up a mountain. But, (laughs) But it is also, it's so important to, to not be reactive to really scary things because in 10 minutes, in one day, in one week, you will feel differently. And one of the great lessons I think of everybody as they get older, that you try to teach kids, but they don't have any experience of this, is the way you feel right now is not actually the way you'll feel for the rest of your life. I promise you, Tomorrow, when you wake up, you'll feel different. And if not tomorrow, then next week. But when you're young and you don't have any experience of outgrowing things, you don't know that. So that's one Mm -hmm. lesson from the calf that I think is really important is that knowledge that even fear changes over time. Um, And then the other is to not worship things as spiritual that are material that yes, you need a certain amount of material, but there are things that transcend that, that are so much more um, life-giving. And, and that's part of what I think this is giving us an opportunity to do at the moment, is to understand that other side. Well, that's another Viktor Frankl quote, which you probably can do better than me, which evermore man has the means to live, but doesn't have the meaning to live, right? Did I get yeah. that right? something like that. And I, I think that's a huge lesson we're all learning right now yes. is changing what the meaning is. Like you, can, you right. can amass all the means you want, but yeah, you have to transcend it. Right. There has to be a reason why you're here. Um, and, and, and the reason doesn't have to be given necessarily, it can be created, but it has to be a real reason why you're here. I'm not sure that anybody said, okay, I'm going to put you on the earth so you can do X, Y, and Z. But I do believe that we were put on the earth and given certain gifts so that we can find a way to do that which we can do. Um, What do you think your gifts are? I know what they are, but what do you think they are? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, that's that's a loaded question. Um, He needs talking. 
Well, there are different there are different kinds of gifts. I mean, I've been given. I, I was given the gift of wonderful parents, and I was given the gift of a safe childhood, and I was given the gift of a, a, a mind that worked, and and the ability to express things that other people feel but they can't always say, um, and and also I was given a great. I, I I would say my two greatest gifts as a person, as opposed to the envelope of circumstances around me are one, that I have a tremendous intellectual curiosity so that I love to read and learn and have my entire life. And the second is that I was given a, ba- and I got this clearly from my father, a basic disposition that is okay. That is bad things happen, but I'll, I'll be okay. That's and I return to that baseline almost all the time. And that is an unbelievable gift because I know a lot of people who either through terrible childhoods or through, um, experiences they had later or through some kind of biological endowment, they don't have that baseline of being okay. And every single day is a challenge for them and sometimes um, overwhelming. And, and I'm very lucky, very lucky that I don't have that. That basically, um, I feel good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an essentially deeply happy person and I think that that's just sort of built into me. You have a balance, which was really helpful. But you also have this ability with that intellectual curiosity, which you clearly have. You're an incredible translator, which I think is a gift to all of us because you have this ability to take these concepts or everything you learn and then disseminate it in a different way to others so that they too can learn from those same things even though they might not have been able to connect to the original material. Yeah, I, I, I understand, I get, I don't know why it is, but I can read a book and there'll be two or three things that I know, those are the things that I can relate to someone and it will be meaningful to their lives. And I, I've always sort of had that and I'm not sure where it comes from. Okay. Um, and it's, what's that? It's yeah. a gift. <laughs> it's a gift. And so the same, and, and the same is true. It's like, I, I knew when this started, when I would walk around in the morning and I would see how people were acting, I would think there's something in this that I can understand and translate, sort of the combination of their desire to reach out and also their fear. And it's, it's um, yeah, it is, it makes um, what I do infinitely interesting because I always, if I'm watching a TV show or I'm reading a book or I'm listening to a conversation, I always think there's something in this that I can understand, digest, and then um, make, make meaning from it. And that's what I think we should be is meaning makers. You're a meaning maker. You are. I love that. I'm going to put that on my business card now. <laughs> Rabbi will be meaning maker. I love exactly. it. I'm making those for you. You know, the last thing I want to touch on that's part of that yeah. same story that I thought you touched on that I love is that Moses was putting himself into quarantine, to like self-isolation. Yes. So, right. So I talked about that, but there's a rabbinic, there's a rabbinic statement that says Moses received the Torah from Sinai. And of course, he doesn't get it from Sinai. He gets it from God in the Bible. And so the question is, why does it say Sinai? And the answer is, because Moses had to isolate himself. And that in that isolation that God demanded of him, he was spiritually then prepared to receive the Torah. And this notion that Moses, like all great religious leaders, by the way, um, for those of you who are Christian, Jesus goes off into the wilderness. Um, For those of you who are Buddhist, Buddha goes on his journey. Every great religious leader has a period of time where they are separate from everyone else. And they have to be because the noise of the world will make it impossible for you to hear your inner music. And you have to have those moments when you're separate from everyone else. I mean, why does Thoreau go off to Walden? In America, that's the most famous example. And, and, and the quote that everybody puts on their high school yearbook is about hearing a different drummer. Well, he didn't hear the drummer until he went somewhere where he could hear the drummer. And that's true for all of us is we have this inner music and it can be slight and it can be easily drowned out by the cacophony of the world. And so the silence of moments and times like this in our lives 
enables us to hear it, which is a great gift. Well, one of the reasons I want to talk about that, because I feel like that's exactly where we're all at. And it's now I'm not saying you're going to come back with like the tablets, but if you actually take this time to you're, we're given this gift. We are even as, as crazy can be and as awful as it can be for some people. Um, so I don't want to diminish that, but there is this part that we're all being told, stop listening to the noise of the world for a second. You're, you're, everything's on quote unquote pause. You said not pause your, it's everything is different right now. So it can be quieter for you. And if you're willing to go in the exploration of what you can receive can be huge, but you have to be able to go in. Right. Well, you can, you have to be willing yeah. to, to take the time and make the effort. Um, there was a, a German mystic poet, Novalis, who said, inward is the way full of mystery. Because, you know, I mean, the, the ocean is as full of mystery as the sky and going deep is just as remarkable as going up. And so this is a time to go deep and to discover what's inside. And if you take that opportunity, I think that, People will come out of it different. And I hope as a society, we take that opportunity as well and come out of it. I don't think we will be radically different than we were before. But, but, but you know, little shifts in a big society can make a big difference. And big that would ripple. Be, yep, that would be a big thing. Earthquakes have happened from less. <laughs> That's right, yes. Um, you're amazing. Thank you for taking Thank this time. Too. I just, sure. I mean, I always love talking to you. It's like, and one of, I to you. It's one of my favorite things to do. And it's just, you're, it always makes my brain like. Think. And then next time, next time you have to tell everyone what your gifts are. Oh, God. Well, at least you're giving me time to have to come up with some. So that's good. <laughs> you are amazing. You. I really Thank adore you, you. I will talk to you soon. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Take care. Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks podcast, and join us there.